Namaste. This is Maya Tiwari with an episode of Women's Power to Heal Mother Earth. We're talking about diving deeper into the rabbit hole and why therapies and practices and other mind-generated activities, however well-meaning they may be, are not the solution to effectively cure physical, mental, and psychic ailments or diseases. In my last episode, we talked about the necessity of bringing back our echo community, echo community including not just people of the same ilk and desires and needs and goals and ambitions, but the circle of all that exists within our environment and our knitting back, weaving back into the thread of Mother Nature from which we have never been separated, but from which our minds have faltered. Recent findings in genetics and genomics and neurobiology, cognitive neuroscience and pharmacology are presenting an accelerated array of challenges to the conventional wisdom regarding the etiology and classification or treatment of, let's say, psychiatric mental disorders. But that alone should not be the only findings that force us to reappraise our approaches or our research methods. We can research all we want. What we need to understand is that 99% of what we call the cure in our current present-day modern culture and system of healing depends on a person processing it through their mind. And in the Vedas we know from the ancient seers and sages and light workers, that we can never process healing through the mind. So where are we? How are these million-fold therapies and to-dos, inundated to-dos, life-packing practices, however good they may seem, how are they to be processed then by individual to arrive at the goal of cure. Psychiatry now finds itself in the midst of considerable turmoil, facing striking contraindications, but so too is physiological, biological medicine, modern medicine. The successful efforts at gene discovery validate what we do not know. But is it our solution? Are we then going to inundate the cellular memory of the body the way we have inundated our mental plane? Much of what the pharmaceutical industry is withdrawing from psychiatric research while antidepressants and antipsychotics continue to rank among the top-selling therapeutic agents in the Western world, increased public awareness focused national attention on the importance of the treatment of psychiatric disorders. 
but we are still at a loss as to what the treatment could be because every therapy we use, including psychotropic drugs and uh, antidepressants, antipsychotics, and physical, for the physiological body, our solutions, our chemicalized drug, prescribed drug solutions uh, and the therapies that go with them cannot be our ultimate answer. And we have proven that in the last century, that we are nowhere near a solution. And we need to ask why. Why is it that on a daily basis we have manifold layers of neurodevelopmental disorders? Why is it on a daily basis we have intellectual development disorders, global development disorders, communication disorders such as autism, attention deficit disorder, bipolar-related disorders, all sorts of mania disorders, depressive episodes, anxiety disorders, generalized anxiety disorders, agoraphobia, social anxiety disorders, specific and growing number of progressive phobias, Anxiety separation disorder, acute stress disorder, adjustment disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, disassociative amnesia, a host of somatic symptom disorders, illness, anxieties, factitious disorder, restless leg syndrome, neurocognitive disorders, obsessive-compulsive disorders, and can I go on? Should I go on? The names alone is a scary bunch of, 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 of ailments linked together in a thread that takes us into the future where our very cognition, our very consciousness, our self-awareness that's beyond the mind, and we'll get back to the mind, denude the very basic intelligence of our humanity. The denundation of that incredible awareness that we as the human population is so gifted with but do not use. And all of it comes back to the loss of our communal living, real communities knitted in with nature and each other, as well as using the mind as the ultimate processor for everything. Of course, it wouldn't work, and I'll tell you why. If everything we do as a human person is processed through the mind and the mental plane, then please listen to how the Vedic sages and seers, from the beginning of time, have described the mind. The Vedic presage of consciousness suggests a process of evolution wherein the human organism has an innate urge, an innate urge to evolve into its higher frequencies, meaning beyond the mind, into its subtle climes where we recognize that we are an intricate part of the weave of Mother Nature and always had been.
Our Vedic knowledge of the mind is expressed by a famous metaphor of the chariot in the Katha Upanishad and in the Bhagavad Gita to major wisdom texts of the Hindu culture. The person or human being is compared to a chariot that is pulled in different directions by five horses yoked to it. The horses, of course, represent the sense organs. The mind is represented by the driver of the chariot who holds the reins. And next to the mind sits the master of the chariot. And that master is not the mind. It is the true observer. It is our inward most self. It is that witness observer, what we call in Sanskrit the Sakshi, the one who represents the universality that goes way beyond the mind, that goes into the intuition of things, that knows, that knows our innate connection, that can heal and be healed when we recognize how to use that largest in our human anatomy. Fortunately, according to the Vedas, there are so many ways in which we can use the mind effectively, which is vast. The mind is vast. I am not belittling it or denigrating it. I'm simply saying that it is not the ultimate. It is not self-evident awareness. And therefore, we are dragged in this chariot by it, hither, thither, without any direction, regardless of our goals and focus. And we become tired, weary, fatigued, agitated, lonely, feeling of despair and hopelessness, because we have just inundated the mind with what psychiatry today, what modern medicine today, what all of our needs today feel that can be done by practices and therapies and more to-dos that occupy the mind, when in fact 90% of our solution lies in rebuilding a community, eco-communities for all of us. Exactly where we are, we do not have to go deeper into the forest and destroy that. We do not have to go deeper, closer to the ocean and stand in the ocean to destroy her. We take whatever we are given and we start building with awareness our echo community from there. In my last episode, I talked about what the echo community is and should be. But here I want to get back to defining the mind and its powerful processes and also in its inadequacies for the way we are using it so that we can better understand why all of the things we feel are healing processes and practices do not work. Most do not work because they have to go through the mind and we become tired. And the mind is not our solution. The mind alone is not our solution. Just by being in a state of supreme silence, the mind can become quiescent. 
noble again, removed from it its exhaustion and all the things we tried to plunk upon it. You see, the mind is constantly, according to the Vedas, burning what we call vasanas. We come into each life with multitude layers of vasanas. Vasanas are impressions and subtle desires from previous lives, from many, many, many chains of previous lives. We're born with these impressions, or what we call imprints, samskaras in Sanskrit, in the form of subtle desires in the subconscious, imprinted upon the mind in such a way that it actually shapes our behavior and even our belief systems. When we recognize the nature of the mind, we can easily begin to pull the threads of our subconscious one by one until there is no vasana, no cloth remaining. The vasanas are seeds planted into the mind. And when we have outlived our vasanas, our subtle desires, by facing them, by knowing what they are, by seeing the repetitive nature of how we are thrown in cyclical, tethered to the cycle of running about in this imprinted suffering, in, different for each one of us. Then we can start pulling those threads and loosening the cloth, the vasana cloth, the tapestry, so to speak, until there is no cloth. Loose threads, but no cloth. In this way, we merge into the higher mind called the buddhi, that which informs awareness, that which is self-evident, that which allows us to know, to understand, to intuit, to be, to heal, to create healing for others, to be able to affix ourselves in the positive and higher frequency that is generated when we are not tied to the vasanas or imprints or threads or tight cloth of the mind. When the mind becomes inundated with all the to-dos that has to be done, it closes down. The mind then becomes the problem. It therefore cannot be our solution. We have what is called sadhana, which is what I teach and have been teaching for the last 35 years in the Western world through Wise Earth Ayurveda. And I call it Wise Earth Ayurveda and not just Ayurveda because I went back to the ancient tomes of my Vedic culture to unearth what is called sadhana, those practices that do not use the mind but refill the mind with energy and refill the body with its own cosmic intelligence. It invigorates our cellular memory 
and it keeps us in tune with the greater frequency of Mother Nature so that our hands become the conduit of the sacred, the five elements flowing through them when we use it and use our entire anatomy, including the mind, in that way. This work is not dependent on mental practices and mental activities and gadgetries and to-dos and the separation that we have from nature. Imagine that we have been so extracted from the community of life that we have to design activities for exercising. We have to design gadgetries and machineries so that we can move the body. Well, in sadhana, we don't design anything because we are the most well-designed mechanism in the human anatomy. The human body, its mind, its form, its buddhi, meaning its higher intelligence, is all so brilliantly designed that when we use it, in the forces of nature, with the forces of nature and her blessing, we need not invent that which is already pre-invented within the structure of ourselves and our own being. And that is what sadhana is about. Since 1998, I had been running the Mother Omission, Mom for short, in New York inner cities, where little or no access to any form of health care is available, certainly not health practices. Through our team at the Moms Mission, volunteers whom I've been training over the years into wiser Ayurveda practices, we have witnessed so many healing miracles with communities that are layered with manifold, manifold layers of psychology of, of, of psychosis, of illness, of despair. We have not used any prescription drug. We have not used therapy or psychiatry or any form of external medicine, in fact. And we now have some of the most thriving communities in the South Bronx, in the North Bronx, in Queens area of New York City. Why are they thriving? For so many years we have used nature's foods, we have taught planting and organic, using the organic seeds, we have taught our community members to become a community, to be able to reap from their own effort that which can give them their health. Now, these, this is happening in some of the most dysfunctional communities in our country. Here is one amazing example that happened. Actually, this is one of our first incredible written example of what we had witnessed. It was Stephen's story. A 14-year-old who lives in Richmond Hill, Queens, had difficulty in school, poor grades, tardiness, frequent absence from classes. And when he attended, he was inattentive and defiant. The school psychologist diagnosed Stephen as having ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder, and prescribed Ritalin, which is a drug for ADD, for him. His mother, Nandi, refused to give her son drugs that she felt he could be hooked on. So she spoke to Stephen's counselor at the school who recommended that Stephen took up martial arts and yoga 
to improve his attention span and energy. His family could not afford to pay for these activities. A few months later, Nandi found out about the Mother Omission program and came to us. With tears, she informed us that God had answered her prayers. And when she first brought the reluctant Stephen to the center, he was absolutely not willing to participate in the program we had. We had a beautiful program called Play Yoga that Stephen quickly took to. And with the loving attention with his particular coach, who was Anthony Budu at that time, Stephen became very, very much involved in attending his weekly classes there at the mission. By the third class, Anthony instructed Stephen to join the meditation group. He volunteered and became the assistant to the yoga coach. He was so enamored with the practice of yoga and chanting and meditation. He would actually then put away the mats and stick closely as the first aid to his tutor. Well, after a period of three months, Stephen no longer demonstrated any symptoms of being inattentive or having attention deficit disorder, and certainly was not put on the drug of Retlin. There's so many ways in which we can use the mind effectively without inundating it, and to set it aside in a way that the best use of the mind is to acknowledge it and set it aside. And this doesn't make sense because it's never mind the mind. We do what is called mantra meditation, which is the recitation of short mantras, Sanskrit mantras. Sanskrit, of course, is not just the language. It is really the symbols of vibrations put together, dwani, by the incredible Vedic seers. But we will get into that in another episode. Here we talk about meditation and the recitation of mantras in order to hone the mind, in order to, in fact, romance the mind into a state of its own happiness. And this is why silence, not silence packed with thoughts, but silence that are thoughtless, silence that only nature can imbue within the mind as we sit in her. We're just awed by her sheer beauty. We are awed and undone by the beauty of nature that she brings that incredible silence upon us and into the mind. These are some of the practices that we teach at the Mother Rome Mission. And there's so many more practices that we train instructors and practitioners with at the Weisert School, which work we had been doing since 1981 at the Weisert School of Ayurveda.
but more in my next episode about the rebuilding of community because we must rebuild our communities and a community that is we can call it an echo community but i define it differently than the modern echo communities because an echo community must entail each and every one of us of different ilk and different tradition and different the difference of of goals and ambitions we must accommodate our differences today more than we do our sameness we must rebuild and we must rebuild these communities because they were the greatest of nature's therapeutics for our healing and our humanity the awakening of our own awareness and consciousness thank you for listening peace be your journey